want to talk about um, a theme very precious and dear to my heart, especially after hearing that testimony. It's very important uh, to deal with this particular theme, and that is have faith in Him. That's it. That's going to be have faith in Him. Uh, children, you're dismissed. You go to children's church. And uh, brethren, open up the word of the Lord. We're just going to read one verse, then I'll read a lot of verses to you. Mark 11, 22. If you have your scriptures, and if the sound guys can put that. Mark 11, 22. Have faith in Him. Praise God. You have it? Okay. The word of the Lord reads as follows. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. That's it. Punto y coma. Finality. Faith, a part of faith in God, works only in the natural and is very limited. When you put your faith in something larger than you, now your faith expands because faith is only as strong as the object or the person or the thing that you put your faith on, right? So if we put our faith in God, now our faith becomes unlimited because God is unlimited. Amen? Amen? Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. I pray, uh, dear Holy Spirit, that your word would go forth with might and power. Dear Holy Spirit, I pray that you think through my mind and speak through my lips. Uh, let your glory manifest today. For Father, your word, Lord God, manifests your character, your nature. Your word shares your promises with us, your faithfulness. So we're thankful to you, Lord God, and we are so encouraged by your word. Now, dear Holy Spirit, I pray, open up the eyes of our understanding that we might truly understand what you are speaking to us, Lord God, after the Spirit, not, not in the natural, because uh, a natural man cannot understand the word of God. Uh, and that's been proven so many times over. So, Father, we thank you for it, and we pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Praise God. You may be seated in the presence of God. I saw a debate just, just about two days ago. One of the, one of the guys, uh, he's an he's a avid atheist, and he's uh, debating with a man of faith. And so he kept on throwing at, hi at him things of history and you know, that is written in scripture. So if the Bible is so perfect, why is this in there? Is that, is that in there? And the, the man of faith is trying to explain to him, I said, listen, God doesn't hide the sins of any man. One thing wonderful about the Bible is it exposes our imperfections. It, is, it exposes our idiosyncrasies. And that's a good thing, because at the end of the day, it's not man that's great, it's our God that's great. And he loves us and moves in us and through us in spite of our frailties, in spite of our limitations. He loves us. Amen? Amen? So I, I praise God for that. And when I think about faith, I, I also think about men and women of faith in Scripture. And today I'll address maybe one or two of them. But Abraham was one of them. And when God was uh, addressing him and dealing with him and working in and through him, he taught him how to see uh, something in the future, a better future, uh, a greater hope while still not having seen it in the natural, you see? And what we fail to understand many times is that God created us, so he knows how we think. 
He knows how we, we uh, uh, ruminate, how we meditate, uh, the things we ponder upon, uh, the things that make us afraid, the things that excite us. But one of the greatest things about us and the creation called this body is our brain. Our brain has the ability to see things in the future that are not done yet and it allows us to come in line with the things that have to be done in order to achieve the things that we don't see yet in the natural. Like for example, an architect who sees a bridge in his mind's eye, he really cannot share that with anybody else until he starts putting it to paper, right? But he already knows it, he already sees it. And he'll even put a deadline on it. He says in eight years, this bridge will be in place and cars will be going back and forth, right? But nobody else sees it. Everybody that passes that place, they see the end of one borough and the beginning of another borough and water in between. They don't see the bridge there. And before even construction begins, uh, men and women will sit down and discuss the potential of that bridge. They'll discuss the resources they'll need, the finances, the permits they will need, right? All of that is discussed even though that thing doesn't exist yet. And that's the beauty about our future. We can design a better future with God's help. Now, we can, we can design a future without God's help too. In the natural, God gave us the ability to be able to see things that are done, or rather that are not done as if they were already. But with God's help, now we come in line with the one who created us. Uh, Miles Monroe, Dr. Miles Monroe, years ago, he was talking to us about something. And then he said, you see this chair? Don't ask this chair what's its purpose. Ask the one who designed the chair. Chair doesn't know, designer knows. See, so while we're walking and journeying through life, we don't know our purpose. We didn't create us. God created us. So when we don't have a purpose, we want to try a lot of things, uh, we might do a little drugs, we might do a little this, a little that, you know, and, and today, the more we realize, the more we get away from the anchor, which is the scripture, and the scripture is God's explanation to us in terms of what is our design. What are we here for? How did he design us? How did he create us, right? The further we get away from our original design, the more we then start asking, who are we? and uh, what are we supposed to do here on earth? But what I've noticed is the further away we get from our design, the more wacky we get. We go crazy. We start doing things that are insane. If I don't know what a chair is for, I'll use it as a ladder. I'll use it to try to sleep on it. I'll use it as maybe a piece of furniture. I'll turn it upside down, right? I'll put it on its side, I'll look at it and it says, I mean, the thing looks good, but what in the world is it? But the day I meet up with the plans of the chair, they say, oh, I'm supposed to sit my blessed assurance on it. <laughs> right? So when you have the instructions, it's a lot easier because, you know, uh, has anybody ever built a piece of furniture? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you put A to B and then B to C, but if you don't, like some of us, we just put A and C together and then wonder what B is all about, right? And then we end up throwing it away. But God taught Abraham how to process faith in such a way that what he sees, he could come align with and then be able to uh, not only enjoy the process, 
but to partake in the process. So one day, he tells, Genesis, uh, he tells uh, Abraham, he was, he was called Abram at that time, in Genesis 12. He says, I'm making you a father of many nations. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your posterity. And uh, those that bless you, I'll bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. He says, I'll make a covenant with you, he said. Then in Genesis chapter 13, years later, God comes back to him and says, And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot, his, his family member, had separated from him, what happened, him and, and Lot, his nephew, they had grown so large. They had been prospered so much. God told him he was going to prosper him. And he got to a point, he had so much cattle and so many herds and so much family that the blessings started overflowing on Lot too. And he told, he told Lot, Lot, we're too big now. So you're going to have to pick a land, and, I, and then whatever you pick, I'll pick the other side, right? And so Lot said, okay. He looked at the fertile plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, I'll go over there. And then, and then um, Abram went over to Canaan, to that area, right? And then after that separation, God speaks to him, to Abram. He says, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, west, westward. And all the land in which you see, I give it to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could be numbered. Walk, arise in the land through its length and width, for I give it to you. Now my question, was it legally his? Did he have a deed on it? No, God was just saying, I'm giving it to you. Not only am I giving it to you, I'm gonna give it to your descendants. And not only am I gonna give it to your descendants, I want you to think something in your future that you're not going to see it with your natural body. I'm going to make your family so large, it's going to look like dust. So what God was saying, I want you to start to learn how to see big, to dream big, because that's how I'm going to work in your life. And I want you to start thinking about dust, dirt, you know, in, in the beach. When we go to the beach, what do we think about? Sand, water. But God said, I want you to focus on one specific thing. Focus on that sand. Do we think about the 5,736th grain of sand at any given point? No. We think about the aggregate. We think about the whole breadth and we put it, our feet underneath. Ah, oh, beautiful. Uh, some of us allow ourselves to get buried in it, you know, right? Some of us make, you know, castles and little mountains, right? Others just make sandballs and throw it at our, yeah. right? But God was using this as an object lesson so that Abram could understand the faith walk. See, faith is an amazing thing. When you connect with God and you start walking by faith in your life, literally your limits, they start melting away. We are trained by our culture, by our family, by our background to think limited, to think small to think we can't do it. And when you get connected with God, God starts blowing your mind away because he says, not only can you do it, I can do above all that you ask or think or even dream or desire, I can do in and through your life. Yeah. Praise God. Then later on, a couple of years later, God speaks to him again and he says, then he brought him outside and said, now look toward heaven. Count the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Again, God was teaching him. When you walk with me, you need to walk by faith. 
because I'm going to blow you away. I'm going to do things so radical in your life that you're going to have to start seeing impossibilities as possibilities. Amen. Say to your neighbor, the impossible is no longer impossible. When we join with God, the impossible becomes possible. Amen. Amen. Then a couple of years later, God visits him again and says, In blessing, I'll bless you, and in multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. Again, he goes back to that analogy. He doesn't talk limit. He talks big. Say to your neighbor, my God's a big God. But the beauty of our God is he's the creator of all. And he gives man the ability on this earth to steward it. We don't own it, we steward it. We get permission to use this, to live here, to work there. But in reality, it all belongs to God. And he blesses us with the land, with the gold, with the silver, with the metals, with, with, with the sand in the earth. You know, uh, buildings are pretty much made with sand. Because that's what brick is, it's a combination of things. Cement, it's a combination of sand and other stuff, right? What about a, 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 I saw a motorcycle, beautiful motorcycle, right? Out, I think it belongs to Sal. Yeah. I mean, that's made of metal. That's in the ground. That motorcycle existed as long as the earth has existed. But except it needed somebody to get an idea from God, some wisdom, collective wisdom, to be able to put the different types of alloys and metals together and plastics and fine plastic. We didn't, we did not manufacture it out of nowhere it's been here all along and I don't know if you'll realize this but there's a season God said that there's gonna come a time where science will multiply rapidly quickly I think we're in that day because now science is putting out things that we can't keep up with it's very frustrating to my pocket <laughs> because I mean I was happy with my iPhone 3 until my kids came up and showed me their iPhone 4. And then later on, my son bought an iPhone 5. So I said, I'm not going to stay, you know, in the back there. So I had to come from the dark ages, from the iPhone 3, and get up to the iPhone 5. Now, here's the problem. Every resource I bought for the iPhone 3, I had a little, a little yeah, it's obsolete now. So the iPhone 5 doesn't mix with it. So they gave me wires which I have to pay 40 bucks for to connect with the older stuff. These guys are geniuses, right? But this is happening, and, and it doesn't only belong to the iPhone people, right? To the Apple people, to the Google people. It belongs to us. See, hardly any of you said amen. Because see, you, some of you don't believe that, that, that it belongs to you too. You really don't believe that. I just proved it. See, if it's something that they agree with, they go, yeah, amen. But as soon as they said that one, you see, this belongs to the children of God because it's our responsibility to be in the middle of business, in the middle of government, in the middle of education, raising up the banner of Almighty God, of His Word, of His principles. We're God's voice to the city. We're God's voice to government. We're God's voice to the educational arena. We're God's voice to our families. Amen? Amen. And God has told us, you need to start thinking big. You know who's getting it? Those that are making it happen. 
And in a, in a couple of minutes, I'll tell you why you're not making it happen. You don't want to know that. You want to go to the end of the Puerto Rican Day Parade, right? That's what you want to do, right? But I want to get to a point here. What is true faith? Faith is not just belief. The word faith in the Greek is the word pistis. Pistis. Um, uh, I guess a Greek person will say it better than me. Pistis, right? But it means a pers that you're persuaded. It means a moral conviction. It means especially reliance upon God or Christ for salvation. So it's belief. It's assurance. You are convinced of something. But faith in God is you're convinced in Him, in His faithfulness, in His ability, right? So some people have, they say they have faith, but they don't have faith in God. So it's, you know, we all have faith in something. There are people that believe in rocks. Yeah, yeah they hold rocks and go, um. And I'm not going to criticize that. I just rather believe, trust in Christ, the creator of the rock. Amen. You know, so assurance, belief, faith, or fidelity, someone that can be trusted. But it's interesting because look at James 2.14. It says, James 2.14, I'm going to read it from 14 through 17. What does it profit, brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So say with me, faith. faith. Say with me, works. works. Okay. So can faith save him apart from works? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one's, one of you says to them, depart, be in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things that they need, that are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Prayer it's conversation with God, but it's conversation with God asking him for something, right? So you're having faith that when you pray, he's going to do something. But watch this. Faith without works is dead. So prayer without activation, without doing something after you pray, is dead. Faith without a corresponding action is dead. Julio said, I needed a job. But if he would have stayed home and prayed till kingdom come, nothing would have happened. But he prayed and continued to expect. And then when his boss spoke to him, he got out of his chair and immediately went over there and got interviewed. And almost knocked out that security guard because he was telling him he can't get in before 11 o'clock, right? Thank God Arlene was there. <laughs> See, but he got active. True faith is active. True faith has activity. Oh, yeah, I'm going to become a doctor one day. And you never go to school? It's a pipe dream. It's a pipe dream. I'm going to become a plumber. You never go to plumbing school? Pipe dream. You never go hang out with plumbers? Pipe dream. I'm, I'm going to become a teacher. But you never go to college? Get your degree? Pipe dream. I'm going to be a preacher. You never study the Bible? Pipe dream. Right? I'm going to be a CEO. Yet you're lazy. Pipe dream. <laughs> You see, see, the, the, faith goes hand in hand with works. Uh, the writer of this book, he said, show me a man that has faith, I'll show you the same man who has works. See? So, the word works in the original Greek, it says this. It's toil, effort, labor. Faith, therefore, 
is laborious in nature. I didn't get even one amen on that one. I got a couple of mm-hmmms. And I, go, and I got a couple, I don't like what he's saying. I don't know, I don't like where he's going. Faith is not easy. Faith takes work. When you say you're going to trust God for something, God will then tell you, okay, here's what you need to start doing. Because God will finish the work, finish the job, and then show you the finished picture, right? And he'll say, look at the sand, look at the stars. Now begin to work out all you need to work out in the natural realm so that it could become a reality in the natural realm. See, when you pray, you say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven. The Amplified says, as it's already being done in heaven. In other words, God establishes in heaven. He gives you the panoramic view of what he wants on earth. What's already decreed in heaven, he wants it established on earth. But the way it gets on earth is he shares it to a man or to a woman. Where? In prayer. Amen. Where? As you're studying the word and you're talking and dialoguing with him. And his spirit starts illuminating to you what he wants manifested on earth. So faith is a conduit of connecting heaven and earth. Amen. See? And when you start seeing the way God sees... Now you become the vehicle in which now starts bringing forth the will of God on earth. Where? In your earth. What's your earth? Your patch of land. Where God set you in. He set you in geographically somewhere. Where do you live? You don't have to answer. That's where he's calling you to. See, he's not asking you to labor in China right now. At least not now. He might call you there later on. But for now, it's in the Bronx. It's in Brooklyn. It's in Queens. It's in Manhattan. It's in Long Island. It's in Tarrytown, it's in New Jersey, wherever it is that, that God has given you influence in. Praise God. So then 1 Timothy 6.12 shows something very interesting. 1 Timothy, Timothy 6.12. And I love this because if you, if you study it, like when we're talking about Sunday school, she uses a word like de, what, de, deconstruct. I said, whoa, getting deep now. You're deconstructing the word. I like that, Enrico. That's excellent. It's true. You know why? Prophetically, God would call his prophets first to come and deconstruct stuff. Get rid of thoughts that were improper, uh, um, attitudes, uh, um, philosophies that were destroying a community, and then you rebuild. But first you have to break down some things in your mind and your thinking to then rebuild. Right? So look, look what it says here, 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life, to which you also call to have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Say that with me. Fight the good fight of faith. Isn't it interesting that you have to fight a fight of faith? The word there, fight, the verb, the action word. You know, the, the, the word of the... the, the, the the act of fighting, there in the Greek, it comes from a word, I'm going to try to say it, agonizomai. Probably 75% correct. But it means to struggle, literally, or to compete for a prize. It means to contend with an adversary. So you mean to tell me, if you have faith in God, there's an adversary? Yes. There's an adversary. Anything you do in attempting to bring the will of God, which is in heaven on earth, you're going to have an adversary. 
There's going to be an adversarial deal there. Uh, you're going to see resistance. It's not going to flow smoothly. Every step you take is going to have to be a battle that you win. But thank God that you are hooked up with the winner. You have the power of God in you, so every step of the way, you're getting help. Every step of the way, you're getting angelic help. Every step of the way, you're getting the Holy Spirit to help you. Every step of the way, you're getting grace. You're getting favor. You're getting wisdom. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Every step of the way. So it says, to discipline yourself. The, the, the fight also has a discipline in the fight. In other words, if God calls you to do something, then there's something you have to say no to. I'll say it this way. If you know, if your doctor tells you, you know, you are borderline this, so therefore you have to exercise and eat right, right? It's not an option. He's telling you, either you change your life now or this illness is going to start really, really taking over your body. But you have, an op uh, you have an option. You can use the excuse, well, I never learned, you know, I never did that. Or you can say, okay, the way I used to eat, over. Sugar, over. Yeah. A, a, a sedentary lifestyle, over. I'm getting myself to the gym. I'm going to get on that bike. I'm going to start walking. And I'm not talking about that beautiful bike out there. I'm talking about the one that you got to do that like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually partial. I'm actually partial to a motorcycle. I have one myself. It's a gorgeous bike out there. So, the beauty about it is the true fight of faith, and those that understand faith, they realize it's not only a fight, it's also a discipline. So therefore now, I submit my mind to the will of God. I submit my mind to the process of what God is calling me to do. I choose to live righteously. The word righteous has several elements to it. One of the elements is that God declares you righteous when you ask him for forgiveness. He cleanses you. So in the heavenlies, you're righteous now. When the enemy comes to accuse you in heaven, because he does, he comes, well, that guy, he did this, this gal, she did that, that, that. God says, I've cleansed him, I've cleansed her. According to the, the, my law, he or she is righteous now. Amen. But now there's a corresponding heaven to earth, uh, supernatural to natural righteousness, which is, I do the right thing. And if I mess up, I apologize. That was a bitter pill to swallow, huh? <laughs> yeah, because we, we're prideful. We never like to admit we're wrong. But the truth of the matter is, all great leaders fail thousands of times, but they don't use failure as, a, as an opportunity to, to, to moan and groan and complain and say why they can't do it. They use it as a stair-stepping to their success. See, they make a mistake. This formula didn't work, so let's tweak it. Oh, it didn't work again. Let's tweak it. The th 300th time, oh, let's tweak it again. Until after the 500th or 600th time, they finally get the proper formula, and they market it and make billions of dollars. But many of us don't think that way. We mess up one time. Oh, I'm a failure. I'm no good. Wrong thinking. God says there's a process to it. There's a discipline. We have to discipline our mind. We have to discipline our actions. We have to discipline our lifestyle. Successful people, you could boil it down to six to eight steps that they do continuously. What do they do? They get up earlier. They work harder. They're constantly studying. They relate with the right people. Kick out the people that are making them think negatively. Hello? Amen. They are consistent, persistent. They never give up. They're tenacious. 
but on a continual basis. When they make a mistake, they correct it and move on. They don't get caught there. They don't mourn. They don't build a condo in that failure moment. And that's it. And the people that fail consistently do the same thing that bring them to the point of failure. And what I mean is not that they don't make a mistake, but it's that they make a mistake and stay there and then therefore don't do anything. Which is, they move, they, they see, they're scared, they might have mis- make a mistake, they pull back. And they continue pulling back. And just about you're ready to get to your, 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 your successful place, you pull back because you're afraid that somebody might say something. You're afraid that you might make a mistake. You're afraid that you might fail. Are you aware most millionaires fail an average of three to seven times before they ever succeed? Are you aware that many millionaires make and lose their money three to five times? Are you aware Trump had to uh, go on into bankruptcy various times? But for him, bankruptcy wasn't a failure. Bankruptcy was a strategy. It was a strategy because he got himself protected to such a degree and kept on speaking with people until the right people listened to him and he connected with him and then he, he got his overflow to be able to get his project financed. And when he, when he wins, he doesn't win and make $1,000. He doesn't win and make $10,000. He, he, he wins and makes $500 million. But it's because the way he thinks. He's learned to think the way God told Abraham. Think big. Don't think small because you're not small. You're amazing. You're unique. You're, you're so amazing that the enemy doesn't want you to find out about it. And then there's fight, the verb, but then there's also fight, the noun. Because it says fight, the fight of faith. You know, it's actually two words. The first fight is agonizomai. The second one is agon. So the first one is a battle, right? The second one is the contest or a race. It's not what you do. It's not the discipline. It's actually an arena. So fight in the arena of faith. See, whenever you're ready to move by faith in in reality, you're actually going and you're fighting for something that God already showed you. As I see that land, walk it. The north, the east, the south, and west of it, because I'm giving it to you. Anytime God says, I'm giving something to you, get ready to get into a fight. Because God has a habit of thinking that everything is his. And usually, when you get to a place where God says it's yours, somebody's living there already. And in every good war, you have to know that in order to possess, you must first dispossess. So what happens is, is that the minute God tells you something, you're going to have to fight somebody because somebody is in that place. It could be a spirit. It could be a principality. It could be an actual physical person. God says he's going to prosper you and promote you. But yet somebody has your position. They're there. Now you have to fight the fight of faith. What does that mean? You have to wait on him. You have to do what it takes. Prepare yourself for your season. What did God show you? He showed you doing certain things and uh, at a certain level of, of, of experience, certain level of, of prosperity. So go into that season and see yourself in that future. Uh, you see your future self. And hmm, I see the way you're dressing. I see the way you're speaking. Nice. Okay. Then go back to your present. Okay. Let's start to work out what I need to become in order to walk into that arena. And that's what we don't want to do. We, want, we think that God is an ATM machine. Today, we have a sale. 
for $9.99. If you give me a $9.99 offering, I'm going to give you triple blessing from God. And all you do is go home and suddenly, you know, the FedEx is going to come home and give you a box of triple blessing of God. That's not the way it works, people. God doesn't rain money in the land. He doesn't rain influence in the land. It's already here. It gets transferred from person to person depending on who gets in the arena of faith. So I'm in trouble because I have at least an hour's worth and I have five minutes left. So the, in paraphrasing it is discipline yourself consistently to stay in the place of faith. And part of that place is being in the house of God. It's showing up on Sundays. It's showing up to Sunday school. It's showing up to the special services, the trainings. Why? Because the more word of God you know, the more powerful you become. Not because, you know, now you, you just feel more energy. No, because the more you know, the more powerful you are. Amen. Knowledge is power. The Bible says, in all you're getting, get wisdom. Get understanding. See, so the more word of God we know, the more we flow in the arena of faith, and the more we're able to transfer the resources from heaven, the wisdom from heaven, God's word, God's voice, angelic help. Are you aware that angels will not help you unless the Spirit of God gives them the freedom to do so? But here's where the Spirit of God gives you the freedom. When you fall in line with God's word and its principles, angelic hosts, they get released. You can't just command an angel, do this angel, do that. No. Angels are always on standby. If you could see in the spirit realm, you'll see them with their, whatever they, they have. They're, they're like that, just on standby. And when we move according to God's word, it's, a, it's as if they're released to help us. Now, they're busy, but... They'll come to our aid. How? We don't know. It could be to help us in a community. It could be to help us in our job. It could be uh, to protect our children, to protect us. I don't, I don't know. Many, many times in my life, I know that angels have helped me. There have been times in my life where people have come up to, to me and, and, and out of nowhere and asked me if I was a Christian. Something different about you. Yeah. It just happened two weeks ago. It just blew me away looking for a little small apartment in this area, and, and the broker I'm working with, I said nothing about the kingdom of God. I wasn't talking Christianese. Nothing. <laughs> and in the middle of me, he says, you know, you look, you look like a preacher. <laughs> Do you preach? Do you, have you ever been involved in a church before? And I go, yeah. It's funny that you ask. <laughs> you know? So it's amazing, but there is an aura. There is a... The spirit realm is more real than the natural realm. Because the Bible said it was the spirit realm that created the natural order. God spoke and the spirit realm helped the natural or what we see with the natural eye to come into being. Praise God. So our faith helps to move all of this, the natural and the spiritual element into place and align with our better future. And align with the purposes of God for us. And then it says this in 1 John 5 verses 4 and 5. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that, go, that overcomes the world. Our faith. 
Is it up there? Okay, it'll be up there in a minute. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. What is the victory that overcomes the world? Our faith. Let me add, paraphrasing, our faith in God and his ability and his faithfulness to respond to his word. And then verse 5. He, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So our faith is the one that overcomes. And our faith in God through Christ Jesus. In Hebrews 11.6, and with this I'll close, because we got we to get out of here. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, God not only desires that you believe in him, because he wants to bless you with so many things. But apart from faith, you cannot move heaven on earth. You cannot move heaven to earth. Faith is what moves God's heart when we trust God. See, I, I've been married 36 years. That's a long time to be married, right? But for us, it's a pleasure because I trust her. And, and, and I believe in her. And that blesses her. And then she trusts me. And it motivates me to work really hard and give her all the cash. <laughs> well, in a roundabout way, it does work that way, right? She buys the furniture. She, you know, gives all the gifts to the kids and all that other stuff. And I go, okay, all right, okay. All right. But I trust her. I believe in her. So for us, it's, it's, it's a beautiful relationship. So God just desires to be believed. He wants his children to enter into that relationship as family. He didn't say, call me the big kahuna. He didn't say, call me the great God. He said, call me Abba. So when you pray, pray this way. Our great God in heaven? Our mighty, awesome God? No, our Father who art in heaven. Therefore, it's a family. So without that, without that level, that level of relationship, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, that he's true, that he's real, that he's faithful. And he says, oh, watch. But that he is a rewarder also to those who diligently seek him. God is a rewarder. When you choose to trust God, when you choose to work with God, to co-labor with God, to love him and, and, and the way he loves us, amen? When you choose to come on Sundays and, and just worship him, Nobody's pushing you. You're doing it out of your own accord. That blesses him. What can I give God? He has it all. Can I give gold to him? No. Even an offering that I give, that doesn't transfer to heaven. And God doesn't sit on the throne playing, whoopee, I got a dollar. Right? He doesn't care about that. That stays on earth. What he wants is for us to help each other. He wants, he wants his love to be spread about. Right? So, but when we give him our heart freely, when we give him our worship with joy, that blesses his heart. Amen? Amen. So, and then what does he do? He rewards us. How does he reward us? Can you limit God as to how he rewards us? It's, it's a relationship. Now, daddy, what, you daddies out there, what would you do for your children? Your children come to you, come here, daddy, daddy, and gives you a hug. What are you going to do? Your daughter comes, oh, daddy, daddy. Huh? You, you, it melts your heart. So what would you like? Would you like some ice cream? Would you like a little toy? Would you like to go to the, you know, great adventure or something? You'll do whatever. 
Any mess, anybody messes with your kids, what do you do? Right? You will do whatever it takes. Right? But daddy's the same way. Abba's the same way. Anybody messes with us, we love him. And what does he do? He takes care of business for us. Praise God. So there's so many things that, that we have to consider about this faith walk. But in closing, remember, Abraham taught God to believe big. Some of you are to the point where you're very frustrated because you don't see anything. You don't see any hope. You don't see any better future. Stop listening to Channel 7 Eyewitness News then. And start reading the Word of God. Get your mind changed. While you're there moping, they're making killings on Wall Street. They're building businesses. Apple is going to put together the iPhone 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Right? Google is going to continue to grow over $1,000 stock. They're men and women thinking big. And we're like, oh, there's none to do. How's everything? Same old, same old. There's nothing. No, there's a lot. We just need to shift our thinking from the way our culture has, has, has forced us to, into predisposed limit thinking or poverty thinking. The Bible says poverty is a curse. That's not a blessing. God wants us to be blessed and have an overflow, not just to bless ourselves, to, to, but to be able to bless our children, our families too, and our communities also. Right? Actually, his word says this. A righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. How can you leave an inheritance to your children if you're broke? Or you don't have any hope? But God didn't say that. He said he wants you to leave an inheritance to your children's children. So not only are you supposed to have enough for your children, you're supposed to have enough for your children's children. But if you have the type of thinking that says to you, there's nothing. You're never going to prepare. You're never going to think that way. Well, God is telling us, break out of the box. Break out of the limits. Say to your neighbor, break out of the limits. Amen. Amen.